I don't know if you guys are aware of anything, but if you've watched the news lately, there's uh, sort of this fascination between a particular uh, fast food restaurant and uh, uh, something else that's going on. Uh, maybe, uh, maybe you've, you've, maybe your Facebook page has been filled up with uh, hatred going both directions. Um, about a year ago, we took a Dave and I and, and Jeff and some some of the others took a trip to. Uh, a trip in a conference in Atlanta called the Catalyst Conference, and there at that conference we were listening to a guy named John Tyson who pastors a, a church in New York City, and he said the most pressing question on the lips that the church, the let me back up, the most pressing question on the lips of culture that the church is going to have to be prepared to give a response to is this idea of, of what the Bible has to say about homosexuality. Um, I said that about a year ago. And now that's coming full circle. And uh, we're going to start a series, just three weeks, starting next week, uh, called um, Sex, Culture, and Bible. And we're going to just kind of examine what it is to say, what it has to say about it. And, and most of, of what, what I'll say will be pointing fingers at the church um, and pointing fingers at sin. And ultimately, the, the theme behind all of it is Sin has messed up each one of those things. Sex, culture, and the Bible. The sin that we have makes us come at each one of those things and perverts it. Perverts sex, perverts culture, and perverts the Bible. And because of sin, and because the church is made up of people who are filled with sin, we are perverting each one of those things. And so um, I want to give you the heads up because it's, it's kind of a weighty, heavy topic, all right? And I don't think I'm going to say anything that is going to, like, profoundly change the world or somebody's going to need to, like, write down and, and scream from a mountaintop somewhere, this is the end all on what Scripture says about homosexuality, what Scripture says about sex, what Scripture says about culture. And we're not going to have the end all of that. But we are going to have an honest and frank discussion where we talk about it. So I say that. We like to promote what's coming, but I say that more so that we can focus in on who we are and what we're thinking. And, and chances are, you know someone who wrestles with homosexuality or same-sex attraction or something like that. And chances are, if you know somebody, you know somebody who has a jaded view of how the church views them. And so I want to en- encourage you to, one, engage the series, and two, maybe invite somebody. Maybe invite somebody who, who is frustrated with the church or frustrated with Chick-fil-A or frustrated with how they sense the church has, has spoken to the, the community. Uh, so pray through that, would you? This is an opportunity for us to, to really begin to answer a question that the culture is asking. All right? And I promise... Um, I'll do my best to not embarrass the church and not embarrass Scripture. Because there's way too much of that out there. Embarrassing to the church and embarrassing to Scripture. Uh, so let's, uh, let's pray and then we will get into, get into the message, alright? God, I, I come before you now and I thank you for, for your word. I thank you for Psalm 12 that Dave read to us 
to start our service this morning. I thank you that, that you are the God of the universe and you've spoken into creation and you've written your word to speak to our lives, God, and you've gathered us in this place this morning to hear from you, the creator of the universe. God, I pray that you would center our hearts around the context of Eli Gwynn this morning, God. Center our hearts around that context, God, but, but allow us to see what you're speaking into our lives through that context. Thank you for Jesus. It's in his name. Amen. You guys might remember in the, uh, the marriage series we just did a, a couple of weeks ago, I talked about this idea of, of this, the context of the sermon was marriage, but the, the sermon was really about relationships and how we relate to God and how God relates to our marriage and all those things. Same principle applies this morning. The context is right over there, David and Jessica and, and their son Eli. That's the context. But the sermon is really about the gospel. And Psalm 127 is really about the gospel. Uh, so let's, let's read Psalm 127 if we could. <clears throat> Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives to his beloved sleep. I just want to parenthetically write say in there I really like to sleep, and that, that verse does my heart good. I also love to, to eat, and it does my heart good there. Verse 3, sorry. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord. And heritage, the, the specific definition of that word is just a gift. Children are a gift from the Lord. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is a man who fills his quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks his, with his enemies at the gate. <clears throat> Matthew Henry says this about Psalm 127. We are taught here to have continual regard to the divine providence in all the concerns of this life. Exactly the point that I was talking about, that this sermon is not about kids. It's in the context of children. What it's about is the divine providence of God. And I want you, I pray that you would see this, that this psalm, this poem written, the word of God spoken to your heart is about the providence of God in regard to the concerns of this life. We come David and Jessica come here today with concerns with how to raise Eli. We come here today helping to, to come alongside that. These are some of the concerns of our lives. If you have kids, you are concerned with how to raise your child. That is one of the concerns of this life. So as we come here today, there are concerns of this life. And, and I look around, and, and we're small enough that I know a lot of you intimately, and I know the concerns of your life. Allow this message in the context of kids to speak to those concerns that God is, is providentially 
meaning he's got everything under control and he knows exactly what he's doing exactly at every moment. God is providentially moving and shaping and allowing events to take place in your life to show you the truth of this Psalm 127. So, three small, quick little points. The message will be kind of quick this morning, and we're going to dedicate him to the Lord. Uh, First, the first point is, we are dedicating this life to the Lord. You guys know what that means? To dedicate a life to the Lord means, get your pencil ready. To dedicate a life to the Lord. Very simple. We, we have to see Eli as a gift, and we give him back to the Lord. To dedicate him means to give him back to the Lord. And again, we're going to talk about gifts and, and stuff, and, and I want you to understand that this is the context of Eli, but it can apply everywhere to our lives. We give him back to the Lord. We pledge, we're going to pledge in a little bit. We're going to stand, and we're going to make a covenant with, with God and, and with the Gwens, and the Gwens are going to make a covenant with God and with us to raise Eli. And this is the practice of giving him to the Lord, understanding this is a gift that God has given to us, and now we give it back to him. Second thought under this idea of we are dedicating him to the Lord is this. We are, what we are doing here today is useless unless the Lord is in it. Um, so, so much through Psalm 127, those who build it labor in vain, unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest. Vain is everywhere. Vanity is everywhere. And this word means something like this. Do you guys remember a trick you used to play in school <clears throat> when you were little? You would take a piece of gum, <clears throat> and then you would eat it, and then you would like take the foil and, and fold it back perfectly and then stick it back into the, the, the paper wrapper and then go up to your, and then like slide it back into the pack and then go up to your friends and say, you want a stick of gum? And they'd, they'd pull it out. You guys remember that. So those of you who are chuckling remember that. And so they'd pull it out and they'd open it up like, oh man, and then they'd probably punch in the arm or something like that. That is the perfect understanding of this word, vain. All that we do, all that we toil for, raising this child, striving to build this church, the, the, the house that you live in, the marriage that you have, the friendships that you have, all of those things are like that empty stick of gum unless the Lord is in it. That's this idea of vanity. It's like Christmas morning, walking, opening a present, this big, huge box. You open this present and there's nothing there. Vanity. There's nothing behind it unless the Lord is there. And that's this idea, this concept, what we are doing here today, us gathering here to make a covenant with the Gwens and the Gwens to make a covenant with us and that both of those covenants between God and us as well, that's all an empty stick of gum unless God is in it. And to that end, everything about our lives is an empty stick of gum unless God is in it. We've got to, to come to grips with that. No matter where you are or who you are or what you're up to, any plans that you have, unless the God is in it, it's fruitless and pointless. <clears throat> I want to read verse 3 and get to the, the second point for us this morning. Behold, children are a heritage or a gift from the Lord, the fruit of the womb a reward. Very simply, children are gifts. This is 
really obvious for us to see. And, and just in, in, a, in a moment, Jessica and David are going to come up here and they're going to be holding their baby. And I, I look back and Rachel is, is holding Easton back there. And it's really obvious, really obvious to see when a mom holds a baby that it's a, it's a gift from God. It's really obvious to see that, that there's not much that's going on here, just the, the sheer biology of, of a baby, and that it's, it's growth in the womb. You know, David and Jessica didn't, didn't do much. God did everything to allow this child to grow into, in, in her womb and, and to be fed in the womb and, and the, the baby to, to come out and, and be held. And so it's really, really obvious in the context of a child and a mom holding her child to see that children are a gift from God. It's a little less obvious for us who aren't holding a child to see the gift of God that God has given to us. And, and I think one of the consequences of this time for us together this morning is to remind us of the gifts that God has given to us. This morning, I woke up early and I, I sat down on the, the steps going, going outside into my backyard and was just kind of praying about, God, would, would you make aware, make obvious to me and to the people of North Church this morning the gifts that God has given to us? Because they are, unless we seize them as opportunities to trace back the glorious nature of our God, the gifts are vanity. The gifts are an empty stick of gum. And so as we watch, just looking over there, right, Jessica's forehead to forehead with Eli and just looking into his eyes, and it's so obvious, the, the gift that God has there. But other gifts in our lives are, are way less obvious, but nonetheless, opportunities for us to seize as God, thank you. What a wonderful and awesome God. I want to, this is going to be on the screen. I want to read this to you. A consequence of participating this morning is to learn to see gifts from God and learn to respond in awe, in gratefulness, and in worship. I'm going to let that sit for a second. It's so obvious in the, in when you see a, a mom holding her baby. It's a little less obvious when you see a tornado hit your house. It's a little less obvious when you wrestle with a difficult marriage. But it's nonetheless beautiful to see God showing up in the middle of it and showing himself to be strong, stronger than the illness, stronger than the tornado, stronger than the bills are greater than the income. God is stronger than that. And we got to learn to see the less obvious gifts of God. Addiction, divorce, bankruptcy, fires, all of these things can be gifts of God, and we need to learn to seize them as such and respond as David is responding and respond as 
David and Jessica will respond to this obvious gift of God. The last thing, gifts are used to know God. I want to read verse 4 and verse 5 again. Like the arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. This is a, this is a really big deal here. And, and I want you to, to kind of think with me. The greatest stress and pressure in the life of Solomon, the author of this psalm, the greatest stress and pressure in his life is outside forces trying to take from him. War. There are watchmen at the gate. You can read this. Watchmen wait and watch in vain unless the Lord is in it. And the greatest stress and pressure of his life is for someone to come and attack his city. Attack Jerusalem. Take it down. Own it. In, the, in their past, they had seen this happen. Jerusalem was, was burned and sacked. And women and children were raped and murdered and just destruction everywhere. This was true of of Jerusalem prior to this. The greatest stress and pressure in his life is attack from the enemy, a very real physical war engaging attack. Understand that, and let's read these verses again. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Do you, do you, you, you picking that up? The greatest pressure in Solomon's life is attack. The greatest tool in this age for him to respond to that attack is an arrow. Children are the arrows. Because it's not about success in the particular war. It's about God blessing him with himself through the child. You, you follow that, that logic? A plus B equals C here? Children are the arrows. Arrows are the defense. Children are the blessing from the Lord because God uses them to teach us about himself, about his provision. For those of you who are parents in this room, there is nothing like holding your child and understanding the lessons that God teaches you about our complete and total helplessness. What happens to Eli if the Gwens just decide, you know what, we're going to go on vacation for a week and we're going to just, you know, come back and hope for the best. Eli is completely dependent upon his parents. That's a great lesson for parents to learn. Until you wake up to a crying baby who's either hungry or has a stomach ache or, or has this issue they're trying to get rid of, you pick up when I'm laying down, that they just can't get rid of, and there's just tears and just difficulty going on inside of them, and they're completely reliant upon you to take that away. That's a lesson that God teaches you about how you relate to him. And then as we grow, as we get smarter, as we get more capable of taking care of ourselves, we depend less and less on our parents. As we grow, as we think we get more and more smart, we can turn away from those who God intended for us to be provided by. And that's, that's what teenage is all about. 
rebellion, moving away. And those are pictures and images of our desperate need for God. And here, as a child, we see it so obviously. And this begins to reinforce so that when the stresses and the pressures come, we are reliant upon what God has taught us. I love anytime the word blessing arrives in Scripture, I love to talk about it because we so, in our current church culture and in our capitalistic, self-centered culture that we find ourselves in, we tie blessing to just sheer happiness. Or, and, and we decide that, that blessing is finding $20 on a sidewalk. Or we decide that, that blessing is something that, that puts a smile on our face, an immediate smile on our face. And we tie our happiness to how God thinks of us. And that's false. A blessing is an event that affords an opportunity to know God or know the character or provision of God. Again, remember our context. Children are a blessing from the Lord. A blessing is an event that affords us an opportunity to know God or know the character or provision of God. And there are few opportunities for God to bless you with himself like a child. If you don't have a child, get along somebody who does and watch them grow. Draw close to God in the midst of it. The last thing coming from verse 5. The man who seizes the blessing of the Lord will not be put to shame when the enemy presses in. The man who who seizes the blessings of the Lord, opportunities, events seen as opportunities for God to reveal himself to you, his character, his nature, his love, his guidance, his perspective, teaching you perseverance, teaching you hope, and all those things God is, is showing you in the midst of his blessing. The man who seizes those blessings will not be put to shame when his enemy presses in. And I want you to And I, I want to just stop and wrestle with this notion. So many of us find ourselves so frequently in a place of confusion or unknown or, or even immediate pressing difficulty or hardship and pain and tears Verse 5 of Psalm 127. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. And don't see arrows, don't see children, see the blessing of the Lord, the gifts of the Lord given to your life to know his character. The, The one who has his quiver his readily available weapons of God. The one who has seized these opportunities to know the character of God. When his enemy presses in, and we have a very real and present enemy all the time. When the enemy presses in, blessed is the man whose quiver, the the holder of the blessings of God, are at his quick disposal. And that person will never be put to shame. 
It's so, the message of this is so vital. So in a minute, when you see David and Jessica holding Eli, longingly looking into his face, desperate to give this child to the Lord, desperate to have this day not be in vain, and seize that opportunity to see the presence of the Lord speaking into their lives, speaking into your life, and then use that to seize opportunities because the enemy is real and This will allow us to have these weapons of the Lord easily at our disposal. So let's do this. Let's pray and let's make a covenant before God and before David and Jessica and before one another. God, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for what's still to come this morning, God. I pray that you would allow us to see beyond the physical of what's happening this morning and move toward the spiritual that you're trying to show to us, Father. God, I pray that you would place arrows in our quiver this morning. And when our enemy presses in, we would see it. And use how you've revealed your character to us. Thank you for Jesus. It's in his name. We're going to take a few minutes now, and actually, um, in a second, I'm going to invite the Gwyns up and uh, to do their, um, their surrendering themselves and their son to the Lord. I want to say a couple things about this, this time. Um, we believe as a church that uh, child dedication is, is a picture of surrender, and it is surrender. Um, obviously, Dave and Jessica know that this doesn't equate to salvation, the salvation of their son. Um, but is really a, a picture and a, and a hope that God take this this boy and whatever you want to do with him. Um, and you know we pray that this would be a, a springboard and a launching pad into um, a life fully surrendered to the Lord, and that God would grab a hold of Eli's heart at some point in his life, and that he would be saved. Um, but uh, you know this this time is simply a, a picture of surrendering. So I want to invite ask uh, David and Jessica to come up. Um, if you have um, this card that was given to you when you came in, I want to have you get that out. Um, and, uh, and on it, you guys come right over here. Um, on it uh, is a covenant. Um, this will also be on the screen uh, if you didn't receive one. But on it is a covenant that um, basically David and Jessica will, will covenant before us to the Lord. And then we're going we're gonna to covenant to them. Um, and obviously you guys know as well as we know that, um, you know, you've been married, you've made vows, you've made promises, and my guess is that if I would hand the mic to you, you could probably name several times you, you've broken some of those promises, you know, um, I'll love you, you know, forever and always, and it's like, well, I didn't really love you very well, you know, yesterday or whatever, um, and so as we covenant to the Lord, as you guys covenant to the Lord, as we covenant to you, one of the significant things about covenant in the scriptures is that it it sits under the weight of the cross. And so as you covenant yourselves and your son to the Lord, you're you're coming under the weight, not that like we can do this thing, but more we can't. Jesus did it on our behalf. He paid the price that we couldn't pay. He lived the life we couldn't live so that we're now enabled by his strength and by his provision to do what he's called us to do, namely raise this incredible boy. And so um, 
even churches, we, in a second, covenant to David and Jessica, the truth of the matter is, is that um, we're going we're gonna to fail them. And my prayer and my hope is that we'd get to the place where at times, and you guys have done this, where you go to someone and you say, you know what, um, I, I should have been there for you. I should have helped you. or I should have prayed for you more. I'm sorry I, I let you down. That's restoring covenant. Okay? And so, um, so here's what we're going to do. Um, Dave and Jessica, I'm going to have you guys read. Um, if we could put those words on the screen, Ben. I'm going to have you guys read your covenant um, to the Lord as you surrender uh, Eli um, to him. So. We promise to God and this church community to live gospel-transformed lives before Eli. We promise to discipline him and show him grace. We promise to instruct him by word and example in the truth of God's word and in the way of salvation through Jesus Christ. We promise to pray for him and teach him to pray. And then um, whether you belong to this church or it's your first time or whatever, um, if you're here and you want to um, covenant with uh, David and Jessica in the raising of, of Eli and say, we want to come alongside you and we want to be here for you. We want to be uh, support. We want to be an encouragement. Um, what I want to do is uh, I'm going to read um, our covenant and then we're going to respond um, with, uh, with the second portion. And so um, pay attention to these words and then um, if you want to respond, I'm going to have you stand up uh, in just a second. But here's what it says. Uh, our covenant to, to you guys here this morning is... We covenant in the presence of God and one another to live gospel-transformed lives before Eli and to pray that he will in turn be transformed by the gospel. We covenant to love and pray for Eli, encouraging him and helping to nurture him in the faith. We covenant to assist you guys, David and Jessica, in fulfilling your biblical responsibilities, holding you accountable by confronting sin praying for you and spurring you on towards love and good deeds. So church, if you're here and you want to covenant with them, I want to ask you to stand. And then I want to have us uh, read together um, this next portion. Read with me if you'd like to covenant with them. With joy and thanksgiving as Christ's church, with God's help, we promise to love, encourage, and support you as you follow Christ and parent Eli. Um, go ahead and have a seat. Um, I want to invite uh, Wayne and Rose up, um, Eli's grandparents, and I also want to invite Charlie and Sue up. Um, Charlie and Sue have been David and Jessica's community group leaders for quite some time, and um, we're going to take a second and pray over them, pray over Eli. And so during this time, uh, I don't just want you to be a, um, an observer, a distant observer, Okay, at the bottom of the dedication card are several ways that um, David and Jessica said, here's how we want to pray for Eli. Here's what we want to see God do in our son and in us as we raise our son. And so um, I want to ask you to pray as you, as you sit there. Maybe you want to pray out loud. Like, I'm totally fine with that. I know that weirds people out. Um, but I want you to participate with us as we pray. And in fact, I'm going to give a moment just at the beginning where I'm just going to be silent. 
and allow you to pray um, for David and Jessica and for Eli. And then uh, I will, uh, and then I will pray. So let's take a minute and let's surrender this family to the Lord. Father God, we come to you this morning. We recognize that you're a holy and sovereign God who have orchestrated the, the events of this day and the events of the lives of David and Jessica and their son, Elijah. God, I pray that you would come over him right now as he doesn't even have a clue what's happening. His hands are laid on him as we're interceding on his behalf, on behalf of David and Jessica. We recognize, God, that unless you build the house, David and Jessica labor in vain. And so, God, um, as they're here this morning and they're saying, God, you must come. You must build this house. You must build this boy. And so, God, I ask for wisdom. I ask for the mighty filling of your spirit. As they walk forward, that this day would be a springboard into all that you have for them. That Elijah be a man after your own heart. That he would surrender his life to you early. And that he'd walk fearlessly and bold. God, as Jesus prayed for his disciples, I pray that you would not take him out of the world, but that you'd keep him from the evil one. And so, Jesus, we ask this day as, um, as David and Jessica are here and they surrender their son, God, whatever you have for him, God, a life in service to you, wherever that may be, whatever that may look like, they say, we say, yes, Jesus, come quickly. And so, God, uh, thank you for your covenant. Thank you for the cross. Thank you for all that you've done for us and how under the weight of that, David and Jessica walk forward and move forward in surrender and obedience to you. Jesus, thank you for this moment. We love you. It's in your precious and holy name we pray.